Kevin Sperry commits to the Oklahoma Sooners. What does it mean for the 2024 cycle? And what is Oklahoma getting with the North Texas quarterback? John Garcia is here to join us and tell us all about Kevin Sperry as, as well as what's going on in the 2024 class on today's episode of Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked On Sooners, we welcome in John Garcia Jr. with us, the uh, resident recruiting expert here on the Locked On Network and beyond. Well, since we've last spoken, John, some big news for the Oklahoma Sooners, a commitment in the 2025 class. I don't know that I had that on my bingo card, a commitment in 25 before there was a commitment in 2024. But what can you share with us about the quarterback that Oklahoma's got a commitment from in Kevin Sperry? Yeah, Kevin's got a lot to like about his game. A kid who who waited his turn and and finally got the keys to to that Rock Hill offense in in 2022, and and he really ran with it, uh, literally, right? Dual threat uh, to a to a certain degree, uh, but really, you like the makeup of this kid. You know, six one, two hundred pounds or so. Again, just in the class of, of 2025, so two full years of high school ball left, but he's already kind of filled out. Just a, a little bit, uh, and, and man, when you watch him spin it, that trigger is very, very quick. I mean, he can get the ball out uh, immediately. Uh, he's very comfortable on the move. So, some really, um, you know, non-negotiables when it comes to a modern spread quarterback. Uh, Kevin hits a lot of those notes uh, in spades, even though he, he's so very young. We've seen him a little bit this off season in, in the the camp and combine circuit, and and it translates there. That arm is really impressive uh, in person, uh, and he's got accuracy in the pocket and on the move, which is, of course, uh, really important when you're talking about an offense that's going to go fast uh, and, and try to move as quickly as, as a Jeff Levy offense will. And this was obviously, from his standpoint, um, a pretty thorough evaluation, right? I mean, this is a kid who, who camped and has, has had high interest in Oklahoma for a year or so. So basically, from the moment Levy got there, this is one of the, the first QBs in 25 that they were going to be involved with. So once that offer came in, it wasn't a huge surprise to, to see him jump on Oklahoma's commitment list or kick off the commitment list in 25 soon thereafter. But again, a lot to like about this kid from a, a physical and, and a build standpoint. And the game is modern. It's fluid. It's athletic. He can drop the arm angle, do a lot of the fun stuff that we're seeing a little bit more common nowadays. And he's probably – with his running style, he's going to give off some Baker Mayfield vibes. You know, I think that's almost inevitable uh, with with uh, being committed to Oklahoma with, with a bit of a smaller, more filled out stature. So we'll see um, if it changes here going forward. You know, again, two more years before he, he actually gets to Norman for good. But I really like this take relative to all of those those modern traits. He's one that if he would have stayed uncommitted – would probably be a 2030 scholarship offer kid, but obviously he was waiting around very patiently for this OU offer to come in. And once he got that green light, uh, he accepted pretty quickly. Well, everybody's probably looking for a dual quarterback, right? It's sort of like everybody's looking for that 300 pound defensive tackle, but 
when, when you flip on the tape, some of the things you talked about there, I'm right there with you, John. I think that's what kind of grabbed me about Kevin Sperry's tape, having not gotten to sit and watch him in person, just the, mm-hmm. the off-platform throws, the ability to run. I mean, he is the definition of dual threat when you watch him on tape. I would imagine, again, everybody's kind of looking for that guy, but is this sort of the perfect quarterback in your mind for – Jeff Levy and what he wants to do offensively. Absolutely. I mean, just look at Dylan Gabriel. I mean, go back to Levy's track record at Ole Miss or even all the way to UCF, and you see a whole lot of similarities between those QBs and and Sperry, even though Kevin is is so young. uh, Again, we can't emphasize that enough. He's already kind of physically fitting that that mold. But, yeah, you've got to be – I think you have to be mobile. You don't have to necessarily present – as a running threat in this day and age in every single offense, but you're starting to expect that more times than not. So even if you're not going to, you know, design, you know, quarterback powers or a ton of read option or RPO stuff, the ability to do it if you have to is a, a big advantage when you're talking about trying to scheme up a defense, uh, I guess for him in the SEC, right? For him totally in SEC country. So, yeah, you need a guy who can move. I mean, there's really no doubt about it. You, you can't – I mean, look at Stetson Bennett at Georgia. You you can be undersized if you start to compensate in other areas. And really at quarterback, if you're undersized, you've got to be able to move. No disrespect to like a Drew Brees, but I think he's maybe the last of the undersized pocket guys. You've got to push more in the Bryce Young, Baker Mayfield – uh, Kyler Murray direction where you've got to be able to move and 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 move that pocket and work well accurately outside the pocket in addition to the ability to tuck it and run it to actually pick up yardage. So this probably we don't think impacts anything with Michael Hawkins in the class beforehand, no. correct for Oklahoma's sake? No, I don't think so. I mean, this is look, this is this is big boy ball. You're going to take a quarterback every year. It it is somewhat unusual to grab a 25 before 24 but um we we saw a lot of schools grab a 24 before 23 and it didn't hurt them at the end of of their you know pursuits in the class of 2023 even at quarterback so yeah it's it's to be expected you're if you're a division one power five type quarterback you're going to face a ton of competition and and really your head's on a swivel always because it's a business and it's a numbers game but it's it's never on a swivel for the next recruiting class. It's usually for the portal or for, you know, guys who are your age or older that are potentially going to come in and, and, and challenge you on the depth chart. But I don't think, yeah, I don't think this commitment hurts the the hype or momentum for Hawkins uh, in any way. Does it motivate anybody in the 24 class to sign on with Oklahoma or is this more impactful in a jump start for 25 for OU? What do you think? I would say if it if it would have impacted any position, it'd probably be a quarterback, right? It'd probably make you say, hey, well, uh, look at all of the, I guess, attention Kevin Sperry got when he made this decision. You know, is that something that, you know, humanly as a teenager, you kind of say, man, I, I'd i like to grab that here. Um, you know, I don't know which, which came first, the offer to Sperry or Hawkins' commitment date, but, you know, one could have influenced the other, absolutely. Um, and I think you don't discount Oklahoma's, positioning in all of this right we've seen schools dictate some timeline events here to try to create some momentum and there's no doubt that uh the the sooner class being empty right now is is not a concern but it's it's something that i'm sure your audience is asking about 
pretty consistently. So you need to get sort of that first guy on board to get that thing rolling. And there's there's sort of this feeling that once that happens, it could snowball pretty quickly with a lot of commitments. So Hawkins throwing out that April 8th commitment date, I think is probably really good news for Oklahoma. And it could be the this the foundation of a bit of a snowball effect from a recruiting standpoint. Well, there's a lot of OU fans that, that want to know about just that. The April 8th commitment day for Michael Hawkins. Still feeling good here for Oklahoma. Still a, a two-school race. What do you make of it? And uh, as we inch up closer to this, do you, do you favor Oklahoma? Where are you at with it? Yeah, I'm still there. Uh, I actually checked in with sources away from Norman um, about this kid just the other day. And, and there's a sense, even from, from those angles, that, hey, yeah, this is going to be – Oklahoma's race to lose I think getting him back on campus offering little bro all of those things point to kind of a re-emphasis on hey you're you're still our guy and and, and that communication between uh, the coaching staffs you know Venables and Levy on down I think is always smart from a timing perspective and it really seemed like that trip and that time that that whole sort of family effort there in Norman resettled things because there, there wasn't a lot of visit talk after that it, it shifted right back to commitment talk, which tells you even the other schools that are trying to gain ground and, and maybe regain some ground in Arkansas's or, or TCU's case, you know, it even shows you there that that maybe there's, you know, you're not relenting and, and saying, hey, yeah, you, you, you got us on this one. We'll, we'll get you next time. But I do think the lack of tangible visit plans to those schools going forward after this family trip to Norman, I think that does sort of read a lot of positivity on the tea leaves towards Oklahoma. Uh, look, this relationship with Levy is, is longstanding, obviously all the legacy stuff on top of it. Uh, so I, I do think it's a lot for any school to come in and, and compete with, especially given that the battery between Venables and Levy, although questioned, was never really shaken or changed uh, at any point this offseason. So I think that kind of gives, gives it a, a different level of comfort relative to the other schools in the mix that have almost all – had some significant offensive staffing changes. I'm jumping around a little bit on you. John Garcia Jr., by the way, is uh, our guest right here on Locked On Sooners. Kevin Sperry, he he makes his decision. You talked about having come to a camp and he was sort of just waiting for the offer. Then lo and behold, he gets it. And it's not, I think, but maybe a week later that he commits to Oklahoma. And one of the items that publicly he, he talked about was sole mission at OU, which is uh, something that Oklahoma fans are very familiar with. Uh, and Brent Venables and his staff has spent a lot of time building just big picture recruiting question for you here, John. We, uh, we talk a lot about name image likeness and folks are concerned in some circles about it, but I look at Kevin Sperry's recruitment where he mentioned soul mission and sort of, as soon as he gets that offer from Oklahoma, the fit clearly was so important to mm -hmm. Kevin Sperry do we make at times a little bit too much of name, image, and likeness? And is Kevin Sperry a good illustration for fans that, yes, fit does still matter? Of course. You know, we whatever the newest thing is, we're going to probably overdo it, right, in, in this business. Um, and NIL is still that. And it's still so fluid and murky, I think, that it creates this, this almost mystery around it. That has folks, you know, glued in on, hey, this is the most important thing in in college sports, and and it, it could become that one day. But yeah, in, in college football recruiting, there are plenty of of elements that can compete or exceed uh, the leverage that NIL could potentially create, and and I think it's oftentimes 
it varies relative to the position. You're a quarterback. It's such a different deal, right? It is such a different business decision to make. And it's so much about fit and scheme. You know, um, you know, Sperry doesn't fit in what, you know, Iowa did last year or what Michigan does. He doesn't fit in that at all. I don't know if he has those offers, but I would highly doubt it without looking. Um, but man, conversely, in, in this Oklahoma offense with Levy in particular, he fits to such a strong level that it absolutely has to be the primary concern for any quarterback going through the process. So yeah, fit for, for certain positions weighs a lot more heavily. And obviously quarterback where you're talking about most schools typically only bringing in one per year, that really has to be the, the most important thing. All that other stuff is still there though. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be so separate, but there's certainly, I think a pecking order, a clear pecking order and, and fit becomes Way more, way more impressive and important uh, from Oklahoma's uh, standpoint here with Sperry. So, yeah, it's a good reminder that every kid is different, first of all. And secondly, yeah, different positions, different timelines are going to uh, create a demand for, for different points of the process to be a little bit more emphasized. Well, Oklahoma fans might uh, throw a fit if I didn't ask you about two of the top defensive line <laughs> targets and, and where things are at. So what is the latest buzz that you're hearing with one uh, David Stone and then one Williams Winery? Uh, kind of the same, right? Oklahoma's doing a really good job with each guy. Winery um, keeps taking trips to Norman. I think this is three or four now under his belt. It could be the most frequented campus that he's been on. But just like David Stone – these kids are well-traveled and there are more plans to continue to push out and visit new schools or different schools on their lists. You know, David Stone loved his time at, at A&M. He's going back up to Michigan state to, to see how the rest of that staff looks after Jordan departed uh, its coaching staff. Uh, he'll be back in Norman again. Uh, and then with Nowerny, uh, going to Colorado, USC, uh, a lot of schools uh, going to be on, on this kid's list as well. So Oklahoma's done a great job individually with, with both of these guys. And I think obviously for Stone, it's going to feel like a Michael Hawkins type of deal where that, that really is home for him, even if he, you know, he's going to take an official to Wisconsin and he went to Florida last week, et cetera. Um, you know, Oklahoma is going to be that home angle always for him. And then the combination of Venables and Bates and these coaches on top of it is, is really going to be hard to beat. And, and a lot of coaches in college feel that for Stone, even though he's so well-traveled. So um, kind of the same, you know, don't get d detracted by him taking a billion visits to all these other schools. He, he's going to continue to do that all the way. Um, and then with Williams, Look, it's it's one where it's not going to be as hectic as as Stone in terms of the amount of schools, but this does look like the time where he wants to explore more of those options. So I think if you get past this spring early summer window, he's going to start to narrow things down and 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 make official visits and by all indication, uh, another one of those will will go to Oklahoma before all is said and done. So you really like the positioning for for Nowerny in particular uh because He's not going to consider as many schools and he'll start to narrow things, I think, personally, a little bit sooner than David Stone will. But Stone is always going to have it feels like Oklahoma and Michigan State are going to be the two shoe ins for him. They're always going to be there. It's just a matter of who's going to be team three, team four, team five. You know, can can AM capitalize 
on that momentum. You know, he's at IMG. What about those in-state schools, Florida and Miami in particular, but between the three, can they start to make a run uh, at, at this thing? You know, does Colorado get involved here? You know, th those are the, the questions more for Stone, which I think makes it makes it feel like his recruitment could last a little bit longer. John, I know you got to run and get out of here. So just one more, if I may, the spring football season, we're just about to get going here. The next couple of weeks or months, again, I like to ask you something that's not necessarily Oklahoma specific, but if there is an Oklahoma tie, then by all means, you know, tee off here. But what are, what are the big storylines you're following the next couple of weeks, month or so as we get this spring season going? We're starting to see a few programs push for spring official visits. So I'm curious to see how those go. A lot of programs are waiting for the summer months uh, in the most for the most part. So I'm curious to see, you know, do any of those summer official visits lead or spring, I should say, lead to any early verbal commitments. And then, of course, the rest of the QB dominoes. You mentioned Hawkins earlier, April 8th. We now have a date for him. How does that domino fall? For the other schools, you know, there's a lot of sort of there's a group of emerging quarterbacks. And then, you know, it's it's Dylan Rayola at the top. How does that accelerate anybody else's timeline for the Luke Mogas and the Aaron Nolans of the world that, that are still going to make decisions and have some overlapping schools with some of these kids that are going to come off the board? So anytime a 24 QB makes a decision, you start to look around and wonder when the rest of them will. And just like it has been the case for, for this whole cycle, this 24 class is ahead of the pace. Usually this is the time of year where these kids start to make decisions. Well, half of the elite ones have already made those calls in, in the in the class of 24. So the other ones are, are certainly on notice with that. So when do they start to come off the board? And, you know, once the quarterbacks are on board, everybody else's classes start to grow kind of simultaneously because now you have an extension of the coaching staff that is helping you to recruit, uh, in this case, their peers. John, you're awesome. We really appreciate your time here on Locked On Sooners, as always. Uh, of course, right here with us and across the Locked On Network, you can find uh, John Garcia talking plenty of Cruton, but for those that uh, can't get enough, they, they want some more, where where can folks, what's the easiest place to find you? Yeah, just, just hit me on social. Twitter, m most consistently, John Garcia underscore JR. We're, uh, yeah, we're talking recruiting all over the country uh, every single day, pretty much, so come hang out. John, hey, thanks, buddy. Thanks for having me. Thanks to John Garcia Jr. for joining us. Oklahoma hosting a joint pro day with the SEC. Let's discuss what that might look like after I talk to you about FanDuel. It's past the midway point of the NBA season. We're coming down the home stretch here and now. The perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book. The app, it's safe, it's secure, super easy to use. New customers, no sweat first bet that's up to $1,000. What does that mean? That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. You can bet on everything from money line to point scores to threes drained. You name it. Plus FanDuel, they even let you combine those bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same game parlay. So don't miss the chance. Get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com backslash locked on FanDuel.com backslash locked on to learn more make every moment more with FanDuel and official sports betting partner of the NBA so Brett Yormark new Big 12 commissioner John has been touted as a, a visionary someone that has some unique and new ideas and I'll give him credit the idea that's getting floated around out there about a 
joint Big 12 Pro Day is definitely unique. We've not really seen that at the college level. Generally speaking, everybody kind of wants their own cake and to eat it too. They don't want to share with the Baylors of the world or the TCUs of the world if I'm Kansas State, so on and so forth. So I ask you this, could something similar, would it be worthwhile? Is it advantageous? Is it better for Oklahoma that they don't have a situation like this? Could a world exist where the SEC does something similar and Oklahoma's pro day is alongside Texas's pro day is alongside Alabama's and Georgia's pro day. It's uh, kind of interesting what Brett Yormark and the big 12 is trying to dial up here. It is a very unique idea. And on the surface, when I first saw it, I thought, man, that's a great idea. And that would really, really bode well, I think for the big 12. And as we were talking kind of pre-show, I started to second guess that thought a little bit because you think about Oklahoma's pro day you could think about Texas as well. Definitely Alabama, definitely Georgia. All 32 teams are going to have representation at those pro days. That's just kind of a fact of life. When Oklahoma hosts a pro day, you're, I'd be shocked if you didn't get all 32 teams sending at least a scout out to see what Oklahoma has to offer. Cause you never, that that's how you uncover, you know, the, the late round draft pick that nobody else has seen or nobody else feels real comfortable with because they didn't get a chance to meet them. It's going to pro days. A lot of times guys that weren't invited to the combine, but you've got really good tape on them and you're just kind of not sure where they might fit. Well, you go to a pro day, you get a better chance to talk to them and potentially that sets up an opportunity for you to draft that person you have this big combined pro day with all 12 teams. And if you're Oklahoma and Texas, you'll still technically be a part of the big 12 when that launches in 2024 at AT&T stadium in Arlington, Texas. But will you want to be a part of that? I mean, you're basically transitioning to becoming an sec team. The more I think about it, the more I don't think really it is advantageous for Oklahoma because then say, let, let's take a guy like LaRon Stokes. Uh, you know, at Oklahoma's pro day in 2022, he really stood out. Like he was one of the winners of the day. I even, you know, asked, you know, Perry on Winfrey, like who really stood out today? LaRon Stokes was the guy that he mentioned. Like he was the guy that really just blew up in all the testing drills, but he didn't have a chance to go to the combine. So that was like his one shot. And he got signed as an undrafted free agent by the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, didn't stick, but still that, that created an opportunity for him. Now, if he goes to a pro day, that is similar to the combine um, that 12, 14 teams are a part of. Maybe he gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. Maybe he's, you know, just one of a number of defensive linemen that kind of stand out to, to scouts and, and front office members and things like that. So it, it might not be as advantageous for the Oklahoma Sooners or for the future SS, SEC to have something similar to what the big 12 is putting on now for the big 12 teams like Houston, Iowa state, Kansas, Texas tech, it might be advantageous because are they going to get representation from all 32 teams out at their pro days? Maybe not. And there could be a strength in numbers factor at play here for some of these schools with the sec you don't need that, right? I mean, the I don't have the direct numbers in front of me, but 
you and I and pretty much anybody that's been following college football knows that a lot of the first round, second round NFL talent, a good percentage has been coming from the SEC. And probably you could toss in Ohio State, Michigan, a couple of teams from the Big Ten into that category. Certainly Ohio State, right, into that category as well for first round, second round NFL talent. And Oklahoma's had their fair share as well. But a large portion of that is coming from the SEC. And so Alabama and Georgia and Florida and LSU probably don't look at one another and say, you know what? You know what would be great for us? Let's get together and just have a, a pro day all together, all in one. I will say this, though. You know, the creation of inventory standpoint of this, I don't think that all of a sudden, because the Big 12's holding a conference-wide pro day, that all of a sudden each school is getting a million dollars more because it's just not going to be that type of singular television event. But you get creative and do something similar for the NBA draft and just on and on and on. You do a schedule reveal every single season, John, where now all of a sudden, I mean, this is something we've clamored for or college football fans have clamored for in the past. Why is there not a schedule reveal show a la what you see in the National Football League. And oh, by the way, the Big 12 is partnering with the National Football League to put this event on. So while I don't look at it and say that it's necessarily something that Oklahoma individually would be missing out on, if, uh, you know, not if, but when they jump to the SEC, if the SEC doesn't do this, I kind of like the forward-thinking angle to it for the Big 12 just to be a little outside the box. This is something that other conferences haven't done. Again, you could do something similar for the NBA draft. You could have a schedule reveal. I mean, there's clearly, John, the the wheels are turning a little bit to create maybe just even that little bit of extra television revenue that that you could uh, you could package together. Oh, 100%. And people will be watching it. Like there are enough draft nerds out there that will definitely be tuning in for big 12 pro day, uh, just like they do for the NFL combine, because everybody wants to see these guys. And, you know, a, a guy like Diller and Turner, you know, maybe he's somebody that gets on more people's radar at something like that. Um, you know, somebody, I don't know, you could pick a uh, Xavier Hutchinson out of Iowa state. Now he's a, a, a solid name at wide receiver, but, how many people really, really know about Xavier Hutchinson and what he brings to the table? People will be finding out, but I, I do think that there is a, there is a benefit to it for the big 12. Cause it also just gives your conference more football exposure, which that's never a bad thing. Um, so even if it's not something that the sec were to do down the road or that Oklahoma and Texas would participate in next, next off season, I do think that the big 12, it, it just allows them to have a weekend that, focuses on them and their conference and their in football. And, and that's a good thing from a marketing perspective. So even if it's not something that ends up you know, creating more big 12 first rounders or second rounders or things like that, it, it gets more people's eyes on your product, which is never a bad thing. That's, that's the goal. That is the end goal in today's college football world is getting eyes, capturing television sets and streaming and, and this is just another way to do it. So it is a really good idea. I joked uh, with some folks in our in in a group chat. I was like, "Man, why couldn't the Big Twelve like become cool years ago? Because maybe we would have stayed. Like maybe Oklahoma and Texas would have wanted wanted to stay a part of it, but maybe not. Maybe they would have still chased that competitive edge. But I do think that this potentially provides a recruiting 
um, boost to the Big 12 because then, you know, high school kids are saying, okay, the conference is going to do what they can in addition to my team to help put me in front of area scouts and, you know, national football league scouts. So I I do like the outside the box thinking, and I think we're going to continue to see more of this out of Brett Yormark in the big 12. Well, in the, in closing on this, the big key for Brett Yormark in the big 12 will be Deuce Vaughn's got to be there. Right. Uh, and insert big 12 star that is not from the university of Oklahoma or Texas because the NFL combine is still going to be King. But, John, if you can turn this into an event that your biggest stars aren't opting out of in lieu of the NFL Combine, combine or, to, or they're just outright choosing it over the NFL Combine, that's how something like this is successful. And that's how you get the collective exposure and, and you raise the, uh, the brand a little bit. It's interesting. Uh, again, I don't think Oklahoma needs something like this. The SEC is so talent-rich and talent-laden that it will stand on its own legs. But if they entertain the idea of doing something like it, I don't think I'd be against it either because I, I do think it's a, a unique made-for-television type event that does, uh, does create some, you know, before we start chanting SEC here or anything like that, it creates a little bit of conference pride, right? Like, look at these, look at these talented, talented athletes that are in our conference. So it's, uh, it's unique. I like it. Yeah. And again, it creates just opportunity for people to, to see the product, see the players, the players get an opportunity to kind of put their, their skills on display uh, for NFL front office scouts. And again, just the outside the box thinking, it's something that's new. And as we saw with the NFL combine, just as you know, a couple weeks ago, people are going to tune in. It just is going to be what it is. People love the draft. They love draft season it's the second season for the NFL. And so it'll, it'll be a big part of that, but that's going to do it for today's episode of locked on Sooners. Thanks so much to John Garcia for joining the show to break down all the 2024, 2025 nuggets happening around Oklahoma Sooners recruiting. And until next time, he's Josh Helmer. I'm John Williams. You can follow the show on Twitter at locked on Sooners, but we'll talk to you then boomer sooner.